So here we are. Message number five. Give me five. Get your hand up here. Five? Five? Give someone a high five right now. Someone a high five at your table. There you go. That's right. Message number five in our series. What's the title of the series? Who can tell me? What is it? Vital signs. That's right. We're studying the spiritual vital signs that reveal we are spiritually alive. That's really what the whole book of 1 John is all about. The, the whole key verse for 1 John is the summary of just what it's all about. Is there on your outlines, 1 John 5.13? Let's read it out loud. Can we do that? It's right on your outline, starting with, I write these things. Let's do it. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. See, John wrote the book some 2,000 years ago so that as a Christian you could know you have eternal life. That's pretty important, to know you have eternal life. How do you know you have eternal life? What John is saying is you don't need to check your, your physical vitals like breathing and your pulse. That, that lets us know we're physically alive, right? Your heart's. All of us have seen a paramedic work on someone. They're trying to figure out, are they alive? They're, they're doing all their, their work and checking the vitals. No, no, no. First John is about, it reveals for us the spiritual vital signs that reveal we have spiritual life. And so if these spiritual vitals are part of your life, you know you're born again by the Spirit of God. You're part of God's family. You have eternal life. But at the same time, you have to be honest. You have to kind of look at your life. Are these things in my life? Because a person is born spiritually dead. It's only when Christ comes in their life, they're made spiritually alive, and they begin to reveal, unveil these spiritual vital signs. Now, we've studied uh, so far four different spiritual vitals in 1 John. Fellowship. We studied how all Christians share fellowship with God and other Christians. Only Christians manifest that vital sign. We talked about walking in the light. Only Christians walk in the light with Jesus and away from darkness. Only Christians. We looked at the vital sign of Christ-likeness. All Christians look like Jesus to a degree. We looked at the vital sign of spiritual growth. Only Christians grow spiritually. And all Christians grow spiritually. Now, the, 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 the spiritual growth varies from Christian to Christian, but the reality is true. If you have spiritual life, you will be growing spiritually. Now, that brings us to our fifth message this morning. This is a really interesting one. And, and the vital sign this morning is loving not the world. Can we repeat that out loud? Loving not the world. Wow. How do you know if you're a Christian? Simple. Do you manifest an anti-love for this world? A real strong way to say it would be, do you manifest a hatred for this world? Whoa, the Bible talks about that. Man. You see, look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's on your outline. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means if you're a Christian, you're a new creation. Underline new creation, would you, in your notes? The old has gone. Would you underline the old has gone? And then would you underline the new has come? You see, when you're a new creation, when you're brand new spiritually, you have spiritual life in you versus spiritual death, what's a Christian? A Christian is one who's made spiritually alive. 
You're brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's Christianity. And it manifests itself in these five ways we've learned so far. But one of the ways which we're going to understand is that one of the old things that begins to pass away and a new thing that becomes like new is that all of a sudden you, you like have a greater love for God and a lesser love for this world. Only Christians have that. You see, if you're spiritually alive, you'll be growing more and more in love with Jesus and less and less in love with this world. There's no such thing as a Christian who manifests zero anti-love for this world. Even 1 Peter 1.17, it's on your outline, it says, live your lives as, what does it say? Strangers here in reverent fear. This isn't our home as a Christian. You're just passing through this world. You're a citizen of another kingdom, and therefore, your allegiance, your heart, your passion, your love is not this world. It's Jesus. Hmm. Let's read about the vital sign of loving not the world. In 1 John chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, just steal your neighbor's with your eyes. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Let's read this and just follow along. John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, what does it say? The love of the Father is not in him. That means you're not a Christian. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires, they pass away. The, but, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now, wow. What we want to do this morning, I'll take you on a little journey. And as we unpack this scripture, we want to look at five, five reasons why Christians love not the world. And the first is this. Loving not the world is commanded by God. Now, when God says anything that's important, but when he commands something, that's like doubly important, okay? And you can see how this scripture begins with a command. And, and God says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, it's very important that we define the term world right now because I can tell some of you are confused. And I want to make sure we understand what the Bible says when it says, do not love the world. The term world is not a reference to the physical world, to birds and oceans and animals, to Chumley. My wife's bunny's name is Chumley. Tracy, God is not saying, do not love Chumley. Now, I know some of you have a cat, and never mind, we won't talk about cats. We won't even go there. But just want you to understand that God's not saying, do not love the physical world. And also, it's not a reference to people. God's not saying, do not love the people of this world, your neighbors and your teenagers. And, uh, you know, that neighbor, that coworker that irritates you. No, this is not an excuse to say, okay, God says don't love the world. And so, no, no, no. The Bible says for God so what? Love the what? That's people. God loves people. We're called to love people. We're called to love the physical world. So, so what's John saying when he says do not love the world? Well, he's talking here about the evil system of this world, the ways and the means of this world, the philosophy of this world, watch this, that is opposed to God. 
Flip over, look at 1 John 5, 19. Just go to the end of the book and look at verse 19. It says, now we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of who? The, who's the evil one? Satan. So the whole system of this world, the Bible teaches, this is a biblical theological truth, is under the control of Satan. When you begin to understand that, all of a sudden you watch the news and you go, ah, that's why ISIS exists. That's why Boko Haram exists in Nigeria. You begin to see the world differently when you think theologically. That means beginning to think the way the Bible teaches about the world. So when John uses the term world, cosmos in the Greek, He's talking about our current world system organized under Satan. He's talking about the world of attitudes and values, the practices in the world that are opposed to God. John's saying, do not love hatred and lying and cheating and stealing the ways of the world that are inspired by Satan. Do not love racism and injustice and materialism and secularism and selfishness and greed and, and sexual immorality and murder, and jealousy, and hedonism, and we could just keep going on and on and on. Think about the ways of this world that are, that are fueled by Satan and his demons. That's what the Bible is saying here when it says, do not love the world. Now, why? Why would God command us to not love the system of this world? Multiple reasons, many reasons. But the biggest reason, perhaps, is that God loves us, and he just wants the best for our lives. And he wants to help us establish wise priorities. Um, there's that scripture in Luke 9, 23. And you remember Jesus said this? He said, remember, what good is it for a man to gain the whole what? World and lose or forfeit himself. Wow. You gain the whole world, everything that Satan offers. But you could lose your soul. And there are people who have literally sold their soul for the world. You know some of them, don't you? I know some of them even right now. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I would love to give my life to Jesus, but guess what? I love this world. I love its sin, and they're honest with me. I love the sexual immorality that I get to experience, and they are just, their God is this world. And we even see this in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy 4.10, talks about a guy named Demas. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Paul spoke those words. Demas loved the world system so much its sin and its ways and its values, its materialist, and that it cost him his, his literal soul. And you probably know people the same way. They sold their soul. They're unwilling to give their lives to Christ because they're holding on to this world and the sin of this world. You see, there is a love that God hates. And the love that God hates is a love for this world that would cause someone to forego their love for God. Wow. See, there's a far way, wiser way to live. And it's Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's the kind of love that leads to eternal life, not to a soul being lost forever. So the first reason Christians love not the world, loving not the world, it's commanded by God. And we get the reason why. Give me a second reason why Christians love not the world. Second, loving the world is antithetical to our new nature. Hmm. 
or opposite to our new nature. Look at verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. And then John says, if anyone loves the world, this evil system, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, if you love the world, you're not a Christian. That's what John is saying. He's so simple and clear. See, when we become a Christian, we become a new creation, and we receive this new nature, right? If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Our new nature, watch this, is to love God. That's our new nature. Our old nature was to love this world. Do you remember your old nature and how it drove you to love this world in its ways and its values? Now, in case you've forgotten... Take your Bibles and turn back a few books to Ephesians chapter 2. You see, some of us, we came to Christ very early in our lives, and our nature was transformed by God's grace early on. And you did not grow up with a history of loving this world like I did. For 20 years, I was owned by this world, dominated by this world. This world and its system was my God. And so I, I, I understand, I'm very much so in touch with my old nature in contrast to my new nature in Christ, where I've been set, set free from the world. But this scripture right here describes the nature of a non-Christian. In Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 3, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were. This is how you used to be. As a non-Christian, you were dead spiritually, dead Nothing was alive there spiritually. You were dead in your sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this what? Remember when you used to follow the ways of this world? I followed all the ways of this world when I didn't know Jesus. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan, and his demons, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Satan's demons, his spirits work in unbelievers in their lives spiritually to produce the evil that they live in. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Wow. This used to be me. This used to be you when you were not in Christ, when you didn't have a spiritual life in you. We used to be owned by the world, used by the world. We fit into the world. The world loved us. We loved the world. We weren't aliens and strangers in this world. We were part of this world because that was our nature. Our nature was worldly. Now, John's point here in 1 John chapter 2 is just simply what he's trying to communicate to us, you know, is that if your nature is still worldly, is the love of God really in your life? That's what he's saying. If anyone loves the world and the ways of the world and the evil of the world and you're owned by the world, can the love of God be in you? It's a question that you, we've got to think about. You see, as believers, deep in our soul, in our spirits, we know we're believers because, you see, we love the things we once hated and we hate the things we once loved. If you can't even relate to that experience, you have to question, are you a Christian? I'm not judging you, but the Word of God is judging you. Because as a Christian, you're a new person with a new nature. You operate differently now, spiritually. 
I mean, it's true of my life. I love God now who I once hated. And I hate the world now that I once loved. There's a degree that that should be true of your life if you're a Christian. And John's point here is just, you know, how can we say we love God, have a relationship with God, if we're loving the very thing that God warns us not to love? Actually, that God hates. Look at James chapter 4, verse 4. It says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is, what does it say? Hatred toward God. Wow. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Well, that's strong language, but that's the Bible. Now, you, you need to hear me out here, and you need to hear what God's Word is saying. No Christian perfectly manifests an anti-love for the system of this world. We live in the world, and this world rubs off on us, and, and, and Satan is incredibly crafty, and there's so much temptation around. So there's no Christian that has this perfect hatred for this world, the evil system of this world. We get lured by it. Watch this. We flirt with the world because of our weakness. But, watch this. My, the point I'm trying to make is this. There is a pattern that will emerge in our lives of loving not the system of this evil world that gives evidence that our nature has in fact been changed, that we are born again, that we possess eternal life. If there's no registering, if there's never in your life, why do I do this? I don't like the sin of this world. If you never had that experience, there's no way you're a Christian. Because there is a constant battle that's raging in the soul of someone who has eternal life because they do not fit into this world and this world is always trying to squeeze them into its mold. And there's a battle that rages in your hearts. Hmm. Now, even Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of what? This what? World rather than on Christ. And Paul warns us, don't let anyone take you captive. And a Christian will not be taken captive. He'll be taken, you know, in once in a while. Yes, because there's a battle. We live in the world, it's hard. We're not of it. We're not of its essence. Our spiritual life has made a change in us. So that's the second reason why Christians love not the world. Loving the world is antithetical to our new nature. We now love God. Hmm. Third reason Christians lot, uh, you know, do not love the system of this world, and it's this, the world's ways are opposite the ways of God, verse 16. Look, if you would, here, John says, for everything in the world, the, and he's going to talk about what's in the world, break it down, the cravings of sinful men, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, I think you realize, and I know you do, that there is in this world the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of Satan. And they coexist, well, they, they exist, they don't coexist, but they exist in the same realm. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan on this planet right now. Now, one day, the kingdom of Satan is going to be eradicated <laughs> at the end of the millennium that will take place. I mean, to be absolutely theologically correct, get my series, The End, if you want to understand 
the ten prophetic events that need to take place for a brand new world to come about where sin will be eradicated and righteousness will reign. But right now, there are two kingdoms that we feel this tension. And they do not intersect. They're incompatible. They're polar opposites. And um, take your Bibles and turn to John 15 because I, I get this question a lot. And I think this will help you when you look at the news. Look at John 15, what Jesus talked about, what it's like to live in the world. Why is there so much persecution against Christians? Why do we see you know, ISIS beheading all these Christians? And we, we see you know, 160,000 Christians every year martyred for their faith. Did you get that? It's one every five minutes. One every five minutes of your brothers and sisters is killed for their faith in the world. Well, why? Jesus talks directly about this, and it's because we live in a, in a world where Satan is the prince and power of the air. Jesus talked about this. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. In other words, Jesus is saying, the, the hatred of this world is really directed at me, but I'm not here, I'm in heaven, and you represent me, so the hatred is going to be directed to you because you have a new nature. You truly belong to me, and you're a little Christ, so the world's going to hate you. If you belong to the world, if you, were, if you had a worldly nature, the world would love you as, as its own. You fit right in. As it is, you don't, do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world because you have a new nature. Christ is in you. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Wow. Now, let's go deeper into what it really looks like to have the nature of someone who doesn't have Christ's nature in them, eternal life nature, but a worldly nature. So go back to 1 John. There are three things that dominate the ways of the world or the ways of a worldly person or the ways of a person that doesn't have eternal life. And and this scripture right here is going to describe me for 20 years. This is going to describe your life before you knew Christ. These are three characteristics of worldliness. This describes a person whose God is the world, not Jesus. How do you know if worldliness is your nature and not eternal spiritual life? Well, these three things will be true of you. Three signs you are owned by the world and not by Jesus. Look at verse 16. Let's read it again. For everything in the world, the cravings of... Well, let's give me the first one. First is the cravings of sinful man will dominate. Verse 16. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. This is what comes from the world. The cravings of sinful man will dominate. So the question here is, are you dominated by sinful cravings? And I'm not saying are you influenced by sinful cravings, but are you dominated? Now, the word cravings is the word desire, passions, longings, dreams, for what? For sin. See, worldliness is an ongoing, never-ending craving for sin, and it dominates your life. And it shows up in cravings for greed, hate, selfishness, anger, slander, gossip, revenge. But the core of the cravings, and the core uh, is for sin. And and here's what sin is. (laughs) Our culture is just so messed up on this. Sin is one thing. It's selfishness. 
At its core, this is what sin is. It's very seductive. We like to say, well, sin is adultery, and I'm not an adulterer. Sin is that guy that murdered, and I don't. And we love to just think we're not sinners. But here's what sin is. In its core, S-I-N. The middle letter of sin is I, right? That's how you know what sin is. It's, all, it's about I-ism. It's about me, my way. Ultimately, worldliness is saying, I'm going to live my own life up yours, God. That's what Satanism is. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you've ever studied Satanism. I would encourage you not to. But I have because I'm a pastor and I should know these things. Anton LaVey, he's written the book on Satanism. There are nine commands in Satanism in mockery of God's Ten Commandments. And the first command of Satanism is this, live for your own lusts. Satanism don't have a blood sacrifice and don't slay your mom. It's just this, live for your own lusts. That is what Satanism is all about. That's what worldliness is all about. What did Satan do right in the Garden of Eden? Don't you want to be just like God, Adam and Eve? This is what Satan whispers to us all, this world system. It says, don't submit your life to God. Be your own God. Live your own way. The essence of sin. Guess what? You could be the most moral person. You could be a churchgoer. And guess what? If Jesus is not Lord of your life, you are the greatest of all sinners. You've just chalked it all up. You've dressed it all up. You look good. But in the the essence of your life, you are so selfish. Jesus is not Lord You've been seduced by the enemy. That is the essence of sin. Worldliness is simply cravings of sinful man. They dominate your life. To be dominated by sinful cravings, you see, that gives evidence that you've never been born again, set free from the power of sin. Christians have been set free from the penalty of sin, right? There's no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We've been set free from the power of sin. No longer does it dominate us, but we have not been set free from the presence of sin. It's around us, so we're influenced by sin. Do Christians struggle with the cravings of sinful man? Yes. Are they dominated by those sinful cravings? No. If you're dominated by sinful cravings, that's evidence you don't know Jesus because there's no Christian that's dominated by sinful cravings. Can't be. Otherwise, you're not saved. Look at 1 John 3, and look at, if you would, at verse 9. We'll study this later, but 1 John 3, 9 says, No one who was born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. When you're born of God, it does, you will not be dominated, absolutely driven into the ground through sin where it's going on and on and on and on and on. They're just, you have, you're, you're, you're a pawn in Satan's hand. Wow, that, that, that's worldly. That's a person whose nature is absolutely controlled by the enemy is a worldly person who's outside of Christ. The cravings of sinful man will dominate. Second characteristic of worldliness, the lust of the eyes will rule. Verse 16 again. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man and the lust of his eyes. Wow. So the question here is, are your eyes, are you ruled by the lust of your eyes? And I have to share with you, man, when I didn't know Christ, I was ruled. Absolutely ruled by the lust of my eyes. And it wasn't just because I was some hormonal teenager back then. 
I was ruled. And I'm not just talking sexually. I'm talking about wanting, craving. You see, lust is any desire outside the will of God. That's what lust is. And it could be uh, lusting after a woman, a man, money, drugs, a house, a car, food, alcohol, shopping, sports, drugs, more money. But it's this lust of the eyes. Whatever you see, worldliness is going through life lusting with evil intent, covetousness, and greed after everything you see. Now, do Christians struggle with lust? Yes! Are Christians ruled by lust? No! No way! If you're ruled by lust, that just says your nature has never been changed. You may think you're a Christian, but you give evidence if you're truly saved because the power of sin has been broken in a believer's life. And no longer are they ruled by that lust. If we were ruled by lust, that gives evidence we've never been born again, set free from the power of lust. Look at 1 John 3, 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Wow. Third characteristic of worldliness. It's interesting, when I was, you know, reviewing this last night, I was like, man, this is a heavy message, Lord. And I'm glad you guys are like spiritual adults taking this in, but, you know, heavy stuff in many ways. Let me give you the third. The boasting of what one has or does will reign. Look at verse 16 again. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful men, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. The boasting of what one has and what one does. This, you, you, my parents could tell you, Mark was one of the most selfish egotistical, prideful young men on the planet. The level of boasting. I mean, I had five cars when I was 20 years old, dominated by materialism. That was my God. Why? My nature was not, there was no spiritual eternal life. I was just living out my nature. Question, are you reigned by boasting about what you have and do? Well, what is boasting? It's bragging with prideful arrogance. About what? John says two things. First, worldly boasting is bragging about, bragging about what you have. Maybe you know people that brag about what they have, their car, you know, their looks, their house, their clothes, their finances. They're always bragging about what they have. That, that's all a worldly person has. Christian brags about Jesus. Um, also, second, worldly boasting is bragging about what you've done. It's being cocky and brash about, you know, your raise, your family, your intelligence, your competence, your vacation, your achievements. Never forget, I'm, I'm the Big A's fan, okay? Back um, August 1, 2009, I was in the Oakland Coliseum when Ricky Henderson stole that base that broke the world's record. And I was standing I mean, I was cheering him on. The whole Coliseum was standing. 
and we knew it was going to happen, and boom, it was unbelievable. It just, it was such a big moment in baseball, they literally stopped the game, they gave Ricky Henderson a mic or a phone out there, and I'll never forget what he said. I'm sitting there just waiting, what is he going to say? And he said this, I am the greatest. (laughs) And I sat down in such disgust. I just went, are you kidding me? God has given you that ability to do what you have done, and you're claiming you're the greatest. And, you know, I'm not, uh, that, to me, it just spoke to me. It was just like the pride of man was just so revealed right there. Does that mean that a Christian will never boast or brag? No, we do. We're influenced by this world. We just, we do. And we still have, you know, a nature that battles but it, it, it does mean that a Christian will not be dominated by boasting and bragging. Because if you are dominated, that just means you've never been set free from the sin of pride. Which, by the way, pride, God hates. Proverbs six seventeen. So these are three characteristics of worldliness. A person who has a worldly nature, not a spiritual, not an eternal life nature, The cravings of sinful man dominate, the lust of his eyes will rule, and the boasting of what he has and does will reign. Why do Christians not love the world? The third reason the world's ways are opposite the ways of God. God's ways are righteous, not dominated by sinful cravings. God's ways are pure, not ruled by the lust of the eyes. And God's ways are humble, not filled with boasting, pride, and conceit about what one has and does. All right, let me give you the fourth reason here why Christians love not the world. The world is passing away. That's what verse 17 says. The world and its desires pass away. Now, let's think about this. How is the world and its desires passing away? The, world, the word there, passing away, is parago in the Greek word. It literally means to disappear. There's two ways the world is passing away, parago, or disappearing. First of all, in the sense that the world doesn't satisfy. It leaves people empty. Have you noticed that? I know it's just Christians, we get confused, we get seduced, and we start to buy into the world and its ways and its philosophies, and, it, and then it just leaves us empty, doesn't it? And John is saying the world doesn't satisfy. It's, it's, it's passing away. It's fleeting. It's temporary. It's a mist. It has no substance. We buy into it, and, and then all of a sudden the taste is rotten is what John is saying. You know, um, Hollywood is the, the, the epitome of world so to speak, in our culture. And it's filled with people who have it all, but they commit suicide by the handfuls. Robin Williams, Whitney Houston, the line. It, you know, I, I started, I printed out all the names. Uh, it, since Hollywood has kept records of suicides within its own in the academy, 224 males have committed suicide and 142 females have committed suicide. You see, this world is fleeting. It does not satisfy. And all of us have experienced that. We know that. It's amazing. People in Hollywood, we idolize them. They have everything, but they have nothing. And then as Christians, we can have nothing, but we have everything because we have who? Jesus. We have his eternal life. I love what Jesus said. He said, here, everyone who drinks this water, speaking about the world's water, will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give him, that's eternal life, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wow. Worldliness is passing away. It doesn't satisfy. Even Mick Jagger, right? Can't get no. There you go. (laughs) See? This is such a worldly crowd. We know all the lyrics. But it's true. Never thought I'd be quoting Mick Jagger here Sunday morning, huh? But yeah, this is what the Bible's saying. Why we don't love the world? Hey, we flirt with it. We're susceptible. I am. We all are. Just because you're susceptible and you get influenced, that's not the point. That's not saying you don't have eternal life. You're going to have that battle if you have eternal life. You're not going to be owned by this world. You're not going to be looking for your total satisfaction here because you realize in your experience it doesn't satisfy. Jesus does. There's a second way the world is passing away, and it's this. The world is phasing out, and a new kingdom is coming. And, And this the Bible speaks about from beginning to end. The world is literally on a course for destruction. Things will continue to get worse on every level, and God will ultimately destroy this world and then remake it. Now, if that's depressing to you, maybe it's depressing because you kind of have made this world more into your home than what the Bible says it is. This is temporary. It's phasing out. A new kingdom is coming. Matter of fact, just turn back one page in your Bible or two to 2 Peter 3 and just look at verse 10 and following. 2 Peter 3, 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. Now, God said he'd never destroy the world by water, but he's going to do it by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. God's going to destroy the planet. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to the new heaven and new earth, the home of righteousness. Our home is not here. Now, how do we live in this world? And I just want to take a little side note here and just give you one scripture. And Jesus, you know, we're, we're, not, we're in the world, but we're not of it. So how do we live in this world in a way that's biblical that God wants us to? Well, I think one of the most powerful scriptures on this is Matthew 6, 19 to 20, where Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, Jesus is saying, don't make this world your home. That's what he's saying. Don't store up just here on earth. Don't think of your life only here on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and when thieves break in and steal, I mean, don't we see everything just falls apart? It's disintegrating around us, right? But here's the contrast. As a Christian, store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Now, do you see it says here, but I want to point out some things that I'm amazed at how many Christians don't realize. The Bible says, store up not for God, but for yourselves. Do you see that? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You realize as a Christian, right, you have an account in heaven. You realize you're storing up the way you're living right now, things to be claimed in heaven one day. I sure hope you realize that. That's Christianity 101. If you really want to know that, you need to come to Seminar 201. Let me spend four hours on this theme. Come through our seminars to get discipled if you haven't. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. How do you store up 
for heaven. It all comes down to the, the issue of stewardship. Being a steward of your time, talent, and treasure. See, everything we have, our time, talent, and treasure comes from God. It all belongs to Him. But we're called to steward it well, to store it up in heaven, your time, talent, and treasure. Let me just talk about um, treasure for a second. Our money. And I just want to talk personally right now. Tracy and I, we have conversations about our time, our talent, how we're investing that in the kingdom of God to one day we can claim in heaven. There are rewards that are coming for us in heaven. And that is a valid motive for how you lived your life on earth. But with our finances, you know, um, and I'm, we, 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 we give far more than 10%, Tracy and I. Are you kidding me? It starts there. It just starts there. And, and, and we, you know, I'm just sharing with us. Uh, there are a lot of people that give way more than we give, and we exceed 10%. The standard is not me. I'm just trying to share with you as your pastor, teacher, this is critical for how we live in this world. Otherwise, you just get taken in by the world. And one of the great reflections of our life, how we're living in the world, is our checkbook, you know, and what we're doing with our finances. Not everything, but it's part of it, you know, and God may use this to speak to you a little bit. But one of the goals we have every year in our life is to give more and more and more to the Lord's work here and around the world. We invest heavily in missionaries, heavily in God's kingdom here and around the world. And, and we just make it our goal every year. I'm trying, to I'm trying to make our standard of living never increase. You know, we get like a raise. We think, okay, now we got to increase our standard of, you know, how we live our life, buy that car. I'm like, why not make that go lower and give more to the kingdom of God? Are you following me? That's the things I'm being challenged with spiritually. And, and I'm learning in. It's not easy because we live in a world that says you need to have it all. And I get influenced by the world. I'm learning. Pray for me. I pray for you. Hmm. You know, Martin Luther, I've given you a quote right there. It's, I think, pretty powerful. He says, I have held many things in my hands, and I've lost them all. But the things I've placed in God's hands, I still possess. Wow. I don't know. That spoke to me. And then Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. That's the world. To gain what he cannot lose. That's your treasure in heaven. All right. I need to give you the fifth reason why Christians love not the world. Loving not the world is God's will. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Love Jesus and not this world. Look at verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. The will of God is that we love not this world, but we love Jesus instead. And the reward for that choice, choice Eternal life is living forever. Like Luke 9, 23, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit himself? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have every eternal life. There will come a time when this world will literally disappear. All that we see will just pass away. But those who choose to do the will of God, those who believe on Jesus, will live forever. So there we have it. Five reasons why Christians love not the world. No one here lives this out perfectly. We're all influenced by this world. We just are. But there are five reasons that undergird and speak to our spirits about how to live wisely in this world. Loving not the world is commanded by God. 
loving the world is antithetical to our new nature. The world's ways are opposite the ways of God. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what we have and do, that's of the world. That's not of us. The world is passing away. It doesn't satisfy. It's not our home. And loving not the world is God's will. All right. I've been talking a long time. Time for you to talk at your tables. I wanted to give you all these five points. I'd like you just to share at your tables kind of a little bit about your life. And here's the question. Can you share about your experience of being in this world but not loving it? There's tension. There's a battle. But what is it like? What are the tension points that you struggle with as a Christian? Your eternal life is coming out. You're living on this planet. But how do you live? How do you experience living in this world but not of it? Talk about that. Go for it. Okay, we have looked at the fifth vital sign indicating we possess eternal life. And the fifth sign is simply loving not the world. How do we know we have spiritual life? We'll be evidencing, you see, a growing sense of loving not the world, the evil system of this world. This doesn't mean we're not going to struggle at times flirting with this world. We are susceptible. But all Christians will manifest a degree of not loving this world. That degree being evidenced gives evidence that we possess eternal life. So it's time to evaluate, time to take a little spiritual test like we've been doing. Because the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So the little test spiritually would be testing to see, you know, if we love not the world. And you have to ask yourself, is this you? John's given us five reasons why Christians love not the world. Loving not the world is commanded by God. So do you realize in your heart that God has given us this command so that we won't be trapped, we won't be deceived by the sinful ways of this world and that become our God and Jesus is our God? Do you realize that God's trying to help us out there? Loving the world is antithetical to our new nature. So if, in fact, and have you received a new nature whereby you love Jesus more than this world? Only you can answer that. If Jesus is your God, well, you're born again by the Spirit of God. You have His life in you. Third, the world's ways are opposite the ways of God. I mean, worldliness is completely opposite the ways that God operates in His kingdom and in His Spirit in our life. The cravings of sinful man will dominate. The lust of his eyes will rule, and the boasting of what he has and does will reign. The world, fourthly, is passing away. So do we understand this world doesn't satisfy, and it's literally phasing out? This isn't our home. Are those things that resonate with your heart? If so, you have God's life in you. Loving not the world is God's will. Do you want God's will for your life? And do you realize and do you get it that God's will is to love Jesus not this world that's passing away. And because you love Jesus and you have eternal life, you'll live forever with the Lord. Remember, again, we all fall, fall short of perfection. There's not a perfect Christian here that never struggles with worldliness. We struggle with slipping into the world's ways. But we're not dominated by these ways. We come back to repentance. We say, Lord, I'm sorry. We come back to confessing our sin and finding the cleansing that God gives. That shows we have spiritual eternal life. 
Again, the whole book of 1 John, you can't just take one section. You've got to take all these different evidences that show we have eternal life. They all work together. They, they create a profile that shows you truly have the vital sign of a Christian. Hmm. So, again, the First John purpose, I write these things to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, so they may know you have eternal life. That's the whole purpose. Give you confidence, assurance that you possess eternal life. So, if not loving the world characterizes your life, you can know you have eternal life. If loving not the world, you're like, that doesn't characterize my life. Pastor, I love this world. I'm dominated by it. Great news. You've just admitted you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe on Jesus Christ right now. Receive His eternal life. Become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Begin loving Jesus, not this world and the ways of this world that are passing away. That's the gift God offers you. It's called eternal life. You know, I came across this story about Emperor Charlemagne that I thought was very interesting. And uh, it surrounds his burial. Legend has it that he asked, Charlemagne did, to be entombed sitting upright in his throne. That's interesting, right? He asked that his crown be placed on his head and his scepter in his hand. I mean, as he's dead. He requested that the royal cape be draped around his shoulders and an open book be placed in his lap. That's a guy who loves the world. (laughs) That was A.D. 814. Nearly 200 years later, Emperor Othello determined to see if the burial request had been carried out. And he allegedly sent a team of men to open the tomb and make a report. I guess that's what you do when you're an emperor and you have a lot of time on your hands, right? They found the body just as Charlemagne had requested. Only now, nearly two centuries later, the scene was gruesome. The crown was tilted, the mantle moth-eaten, the body disfigured. But open on the skeletal thighs was the book Charlemagne had requested, the Bible. And one, one bony finger pointed to Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? I was like, wow. Let's pray. How's that sound? <laughs>